This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. If you could open your Bibles to Mark uh, chapter 11. Again, if you're, if you're newer here, uh, thank you for being here. I'm Jason, one of the pastors. Um, we are in this series uh, called Who Then Is This? It's a series of uh, going through the gospel of Mark, the whole thing. We're trying to figure out who Jesus is, and we're trying to figure out what that means for us. And today's absolutely no different here as we think about this. Um, I've, I've spent some time doing some dumb things. Um, some of them I didn't know were dumb at the time. You know, you kind of just do them. Some of them, some of them you do realize this, this is a little bit of a risk. One of the things that I, I did uh, when I was a little younger that I didn't realize the risk of it was um, playing paintball. I don't know if you've ever done this. Um, I didn't realize how bad it hurt. Like, it hurts really bad to get hit with one of those things. I didn't realize that. And uh, as I remember that one of the times that we were playing, you know, somebody said, hey, make sure you wear a sweatshirt. I think it was the first time I played, and I was like, why? Your sweatshirt, you know, whatever. And then you realize the welts that you get from getting hit by those things. And, and I, remember, uh, I remember playing this one time, and, you know, we're, we're, we're hiding because we're in this abandoned warehouse. They turn into a paintball place, which was awesome. Um, but there's all this plywood, and every time one of those paintballs hits that plywood, it sounds like the whole thing's going to explode. It's so loud. We can't hear anything, and we're just hunkered down because I don't want to get hit again with that paintball. It hurts. And a, a buddy of mine comes around the corner, and what you're supposed to do if you get hit, you're supposed to raise your hand so everybody knows you're out. Well, we didn't know he was coming, and he got hit, and he stood up really fast and raised his hands, and about five of us just unloaded on him. Like, he's, he's standing here like this, and we just unload on him, and he's like, I'm out. He's yelling, I'm out. You know, he just gets hit and pelted, and finally he goes, I surrender. I'm done. And we're like, okay. And we all stop, and we're looking at him, and then he just realized, like, that really hurt, and he kind of like crumbles over really slowly. You know, he's like, I surrender, guys. I'm out. There's something about, like, we think about surrendering. When we think about the word surrender, typically when we think about that, it's, it's because we're, we're hurt. We're confused. We're just, we're done. There's something about it. We're defeated, and we just want to give up. I'm out. Enough paintballs. You know, I'm out. I'm, I'm done with this. When we think about that word surrender, the question is, when we think about surrendering as Christians to Jesus, does it have that same thinking? Because, because the, the hard part about us surrendering to Jesus, when we hear people say, as a Christian, you want to surrender to him, sometimes we can think, well, does that mean I'm super defeated and I'm just done and he's beat me down so much that now I just have to give up? Is that what it means to surrender to him? Is it the guy that's standing there just getting pelted with paintballs going, finally, Lord, I surrender, I'm done? Or is it more than this? The question maybe you want to answer is, when we think about surrendering to him, is this a good thing or a bad thing? We can equate in our minds, I think, sometimes that surrendering to him just comes from all the bad. Finally, I'm done. But is that how we should think about it? Here, here's my big idea this morning and we're going to deal with this from Mark uh, chapter 11 and 12. The big idea this morning is this. Following Jesus means surrendering, and specifically surrendering your authority. It's surrendering you. It's surrendering your authority. 
It's taking your authority, the authority that you have in your life, the authority that I think, you know, okay, I'm going to live my life according to what I think, how I'm going to go, what, what I want to do, the authority that I have, that I've uh, possessed in my life, that I've built up. I'm going to live my life according to this. Jesus gets to be a part of it. Or it's surrendering myself, my authority, all the things that I think I have and what I want to do and where I want to go, and I'm surrendering it all to the authority of the king. Following Jesus means surrendering your authority and coming under his authority. This is what it means to be a disciple. And we can think, yeah, that, that sounds bad. That sounds like something that's hard for me to do, and it, it is. But is it bad or is it good? We want to we wanna answer that question as we go. I, I have two points for us this morning from our text. The first point is the question of Jesus' authority, and the second point is the answer of Jesus' authority, because the situation that Jesus finds himself in is that these religious leaders in Israel are questioning his authority. And like it or not, oftentimes, uh, in our own lives, we question his authority as well. There's times where we go, I don't like what he has me doing. I don't like where he has me. I don't like what's going on. I want to do my own thing, and we have to figure out where we stand in this. Let me, let me read... Um, let me read uh, Mark chapter 11. This is going to be a challenge because I forgot my glasses. So if I stumble over words, and I don't know, that's, that's why. I'm just going to give everybody a, give everybody a little bit of a heads up. Uh, we're going to go Mark chapter 11 beginning in verse 27. We're going to read all the way through 12, 12. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning from Mark. Remember, following Jesus means surrendering your authority. They came again to Jerusalem. This is Jesus and the disciples. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Notice the word authority. It's going to come up a lot in this text. By what authority are you doing these things? And what they're asking him is, hey, you've come into the temple. We heard about all the stuff you were doing. We've, we've heard about all the things happening in Capernaum. We heard about you coming in on a donkey into this city. We've, we, we witnessed you t flipping tables over. By, by whose, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Now that, you know, that's never good. Like when, when you ask Jesus a question, he goes, actually... Let me ask you a question, you know. Here he goes. He's, he's going he's gonna to try and catch them in what they're saying. Jesus said, let me ask you a question. Uh, I, will, I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So I, I will answer you if you answer me. Which, by the way, was a common rhetorical thing for this time period. This isn't, Jesus isn't being a jerk. He's not being sassy. He's like, okay, we'll, we'll play the game. We'll, we'll do this. This is kind of some, they would do this, and they accept it. They go, okay. Here's what he asks them. Was John's baptism, and he's talking about John the Baptist, was John's baptism from heaven, meaning God sent, or from human origin, meaning John's just a guy? Answer me. Which one, which one is it? They discussed it among themselves. This, remember, this is the, the priests and the scribes and the elders. They discussed it among themselves, and they said, if, if we say from heaven, God sent, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, meaning he wasn't from God, he was just a man, 
then were, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet, so they didn't want to answer either one. They're like, oh, either way, we're kind of in trouble. And so they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love that. And then he goes into this parable. Now let me just, I want to I set you up to understand the parable up top so we don't have to circle back around. This parable is very allegorical. Maybe, maybe actually for sure the most specifically al- allegorical uh, parable in Mark. Meaning that there is one-to-one correlations with what he's saying. And, and if you want to know if everybody got it, they did. Because at the end of this whole text, the parable, these three groups of people are going to plot to kill him because they realize he's talking about us. So when we read this, uh, the, the man who planted the vineyard is God. The servants he sends are all the prophets, including John the Baptist. The son is Jesus, and the tenants is Israel. This is, this is what he's trying to relate here. So as, you, as we think about this, just keep that in mind. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug out a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. At harvest he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant to them, and they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others. Some they beat, others they killed. He still had one to send, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. They were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and went away. But, but the plot thickens on their desire to arrest him and kill him because Jesus' authority bows to nobody. And and he wants them to understand, you're asking questions about my authority, but you're unwilling to recognize whose authority actually exists in the temple and in Jerusalem, and you're refusing to recognize that it is mine. Because they wanted their own authority. And they come to him here, question number one. This is our first point. The question of Jesus' authority, verses 27 through uh, 33. This is the, the, essentially the leaders of Jerusalem. Remember, I talked about this a little bit last week. But, but in, in the Old Testament time period, which we're still in, by the way, Jesus, his, his uh, uh, coming and his death and resurrection marks the change of times. That becomes the church age. Here we're still in this old age. As the leaders went is how the people went. They were representatives. 
The, the leaders were the representatives of the people. And here they are. They are representing the people in their questioning of, of the authority of Jesus and ultimately questioning the authority of the God that made them. And he's, he's trying to uh, listen to this, and, and he's taking all of this from these leaders of Israel, the ones that are in the temple, the ones that are supposed to know everything and lead the people in a way that is good and right, and they're leading them totally wrongly, and they're questioning his authority. Why are you doing these things? Who sent you? What, by what authority do you even have to claim the things you're claiming? What authority do you have to heal people? What authority do you have to speak this way? Why do you think you're here? This is our temple. Israel belongs to us. Essentially, in our our language, it might be like, who do you think you are? That's what they're asking him. Who do you think you are? You're coming in here? We're the scribes. We're the chief priests. We're the elders of Israel. Who do you think you are? And the question maybe you're asking, maybe, should, maybe we all should ask is, why didn't he just say, oh, let me tell you who I think I am. I am uh, the one that made the heavens and the earth. I am the one who spoke everything to an existence. You want to know, um, you know, some of your old prophets here? I'm the one that spoke out of the burning bush to Moses. I am the one that led the people out of Israel. I am the one that... Uh, that called a people to myself. I am the one who is worshipped in the Holy of Holies. I am the one who has authority over you. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I'm the living God. That's who I am. Why didn't he just say that? And there's a couple different answers for that. Uh, One is, this whole time he's been very quiet about who he is. There's There's been some leaking out of it. I mean, even him coming into the temple area and Bartimaeus saying who he was and all of this. So in some ways, I think he's probably thinking, look, even if I said something, they're not going to believe it. Because if they're not believing it now, they're not going to believe it. Uh, if they not believe it then, they're not going to believe it now. That, that's, excuse me, that's one. But there were still some days to go before all the prophecies needed to be fulfilled. There were things that needed to happen. And quite frankly, if he had said that here, it would have sped up the process. So he doesn't. He waits. He will. He will let them know who he is. On the night that he's betrayed, he's going to tell the chief priests who he is. Uh, but now he doesn't. He keeps it quiet. And so he does this switcheroo. That's not the uh, theological term. That's just the term I'm using. He, he does a switcheroo on them, right? It's like an attorney. They're trying to be attorneys. They're questioning him. Hey, we're going to try and catch him in this. Who, who, whose authority do you think it is? Maybe they're thinking in their minds, if he says God's authority, then the people are going to turn on him like, whoa, who, who is he? If he says man's authority, then we have him, because what's he going to do? So they're trying to catch him, and Jesus does the old switcheroo. He, he, plays, uh, he plays like the opposite attorney going, actually, let me, let me counter-press you here for a second. You answer me. Now, now, Jesus knows full well that these guys aren't answering any of those questions about John. They don't want anything to do with him. And so he, he has them where he wants them, and nobody gets an answer. Nobody gets a clear answer to this. The question of Jesus' authority is not answered specifically here, but it is answered in the parable, which is the answer to Jesus' authority. It is this parabolic answer to to them. He uses a vineyard because vineyards 
historically in the Bible are, are used of Israel. And I have a couple uh, examples here for you. The first, uh, the first one here is in, let me get to it. Again, I forgot my glass. The first one is uh, Jeremiah 12. It says, many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled my plot of land. They have turned my desirable plot into a desolate wasteland. He's looking at the people. He's looking at his people. He's looking at his uh, land of Israel, the people of God. He's saying, shepherds have destroyed the vineyard. And in Hosea, which is, if you haven't read Hosea, by the way, there's a lot of messianic looking forward in Hosea. Hosea is the story of the prophet who marries a prostitute. And, and her cheating on him is supposed to represent the people of God. So, so it, it is a constant reminder, one, of the fickleness of the people of God, quite frankly, including us. More importantly, it, it's, a, it's a, a speaking to the love and pursuit and patience and kindness of the God that we worship. So if you haven't read Hosea with an eye to knowing and understanding the patient, steadfast, pursuing love of God, I would encourage you to do so. Hosea 10, 1 through 3 says, Israel is a lush vine. It yields fruit for itself. The more his fruit increased, the more he increased the altars. That's not good. The better his land produced, the better they made the sacred pillars. Their hearts are devious. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and demolish their sacred pillars. In fact, they are now saying, we have no king. Does that sound familiar here? With the scribes and the chief priests and the elders, we have no king. In other words, my authority, for what they're saying, is mine. There's no king. There's no God. This is ours. And then he finishes, we do not fear the Lord. What can a king do for us? And those are only two verses, but constantly the people of God are seen as the vineyard of God. And so here, here Jesus is pulling on this phraseology and this understanding in this parable. And he's saying, God planted this vineyard. He made the people on this earth. This is what he has done. And he's put tenant farmers in charge of it, the people of Israel, the, the high priests, the, all these people, the kings, they are in charge of it. And he sent the servants to collect. What he's talking about is when, when in this time period, again, I am, not, I am not a farmer. I'm not a horticulturist. So all I'm, all I'm doing is just telling you what I've read. I'm trusting the men that have written this. I, I think that they're, they, they, they have our best interests at heart. Uh, they would, they, the, tenant, the, the owner of the land would put tenant farmers in there, and they would go and send someone to collect their share of the crops. Almost like if you, you know, today, uh, if you have stock somewhere or if you ha own a company or something like that, you know, you're, you're going to take a profit share. Someone's going to help run that and you're going to take a profit share. Uh, this is what he's doing. He's saying they're sending people to get them. The, the tenant farmers, though, are thinking, hey, if we just, like, what if we just pretend that these guys never came? Let's just take care of them. And then at some point, time's going to go by. Like, maybe he's going to forget that this is his. And we can just take this all. We don't need to give anything to him. And so he sends the servants or the prophets. God's sending the prophets to the people going, hey, remember, you belong to God. Remember, uh, you worship him. 
and they did whatever they wanted to to him. And, and he gets to the point where he sends John the Baptist, and John is killed. And so he says, well, I'm going to send Jesus, and Jesus is going to be killed. And so the question is, what happens to the authority of the king? What, what happens? Do the people get their own way? What happens? There's really, there's really two things that we see here in this text. There's a warning given, and there's a promise given. There's a warning given, and there's a promise given. Look at verse, uh, look with me at, at chapter 12, where he's talking about at the end of this parable. He asks the question, uh, what now? What, what then will the owner of the vineyard do when the son, when the son is killed? What's going to happen here? Because my son was killed and thrown out of the vineyard. All my servants were. What do we do with Israel? What do we do? Maybe let's put it in modern day. What do we do with those who look at the authority of the king and say, I'm not into it. You know, he might be the king. God might be the, the God of everything. I'm just not going to recognize it. I'm just going to ignore it. W what do we do? Which goes to our earlier question is, is this good or bad in terms of us coming under the authority, uh, submitting ourselves to the authority of the king, surrendering to his authority. Is this good or bad? And the question would be, well, it really depends. The answer to that, that really depends because if you are in a situation, right now let's say you're not a Christian here. This could be you being a, a, someone that's in high school, junior high. It could be that you're visiting. It could be you're watching online or listening. And you're not a Christian. You haven't yet submitted yourself to the authority of God Almighty, the maker of everything. He has a claim on you. His authority is over you. Right now you're saying, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I don't want to listen to it. I'm going to go my own way. There will be a reckoning. And the question is, what happens if you are in that situation where you think, I'm going to ignore his authority. I'm going to stand against his authority. I'm going to try and do this my own way. I don't want to recognize his authority. There is no surrender for you. What happens? And and here's what happens. It says it right in the text. Um, the owner of the vineyard will come and kill those who don't recognize his authority. There will be justice. Like sometimes we can think, well, God's, you know, we talk about God being the God of love. He is. One of the things that love does, though, is it brings with it justice. And justice is a reality in the kingdom of God. There will be a reckoning because the, the authority of God, the authority of the king stands. It's not going away. He doesn't let anybody off the hook. We all are his creatures. We come under him. Now, sin has pulled us apart. And if you're new to the church, maybe that's a weird word. Sin is kind of a weird word. It just means we decide to go make our own rules and do our own thing. We don't want to listen to him. We want to do whatever we want to do. This is what it means to, to live in this world of sin. We just are so tempted and, and given to just make our own way. And God says it's not about your own way. It's about my way. And so if you are at a spot where you're like, I am, I am just going to ignore him, then you yourself are like the tenant farmers who are just like, yeah, I'm just not going to uh, have this in mind. I'm just going to ignore him. And you might find that for a while it's fine, but there will be a time uh, where you will have no more opportunity 
to come under his authority. He'll make you do it. But now is the time that you can come under his authority. And you might ask yourself, well, is that authority even an authority that I want to come under? Do I, w- I want to submit myself to him? Young person, do you want to submit yourself to him? Or would you rather just go find your own way in your own life, in your own time, for your own purposes? You know, my parents tell me about Jesus. Um, I, think I, I think I believe him and I trust him and I'm a Christian. I would say, have you made the decision to come under his authority? Or are you just in a spot where you're like, yeah, I guess. We have to make a decision to say, I want to be under the authority of the king. The question is, is his authority worth it? Is it good? Or is it like the guy at paintball just going, enough. Look, I'm just going to surrender just because you beat me down. That's where I'm at. Is that where we are? Let me speak to, to Christian disciples. The quote here, you can see it in verse 10. Jesus says, haven't you read the scripture? This is from Psalm 118. It's, it's a direct quote um, here from the, uh, from the Septuagint, which is the, the, Greek New Test- the Greek Old Testament. It's direct. It's word for word. Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected, which now he's kind of switching metaphors. Now he is, he is that stone. It's a stone that the builders, as they were looking to build whatever they were looking to build and make their own way, they, they looked at the stone, Jesus, and they said, not good enough for us. I don't want, I don't want this one in our building. I'm going to do something without him. And he says, the stone the builders rejected, he cast away, has become the cornerstone, the most important stone, the stone that buries, bears all the weight, the stone that actually is this, the stone that every other stone in the building is, is set by, the one that is the perfect stone, the one that holds everything together, the one that the builders rejected has become the very one that we need, the cornerstone. And I want you to recognize that what he says here in verse 11 is something we shouldn't just throw away. Sometimes we just ignore this second part of this verse because we feel like the first part matters the most. He is the cornerstone. Cool. Move on. No, stop. Listen, verse 11. This came about both the rejection of him and the the reality of his cornerstone-ness This came about from the Lord. And listen, it is wonderful in our eyes. You know why it's wonderful in our eyes, Christian? Here's why it's wonderful. Because his authority isn't a crushing authority. It's not like like if you ever think about um, trying to carry something like a backpack. You ever gone hiking or something like that and you, you're trying to carry something? Or maybe, maybe uh, you're a mom in here and everybody goes, can you carry this for me? You ever have that? And all of a sudden your purse weighs about 1,000 pounds. Um, and you're like, man, this is heavy. It's digging into your shoulder. And it's like sometimes we can think about coming under the authority of Jesus as if it's just hunching us over, weighing us down. We can't walk it out. But that's, that's not the reality. You know what the reality is? His authority. This is why it's good for you, Christian. His authority is a cornerstone authority. It bears the weight of everything. 
You, you think, I can't carry the weight of my guilt and shame. I can't carry the weight of my sin. I can't carry the weight of expectation. I can't carry the weight of everything that I have going on in my life, the difficulties, the struggles. I can't carry the weight of Jesus saying to me, hey, go make disciples of all nations. That includes you being a disciple, you going making disciples, you go uh, finding discipleship, and you're helping disciple others. I, I have a hard time with that. It feels so weighty. I would say, well, I think we're, we're thinking about the, the cost of discipleship improperly because his authority is not a weighty authority. His authority that we come under is a cornerstone authority. It is meant to bear the weight. Sometimes we just need to be readjusted in our thinking about who he actually is. We, we, we think he is putting something on us that he's not. What he's doing is saying to you, Christian and non-Christian, Hey, you, you go through life. It is a struggle. If I, I guarantee you, if I, ra- if I were to have you raise your hand and if you've lived long enough and said, hey, has life been a struggle for you? We'd probably get 100% in this room. Because life, if you've lived long enough, life is hard, right? And we think, uh, hey, the Christian life, this is supposed to be easy. I would say, well, good luck. Like, if that's easy for you, great. It's hard enough to live this life, let alone come into it with this weight and pull of sin. And on the other side, we're like, I want to be holy, and I want to live for him, and so I, I can't do anything that I just want to do. I, now we have to just walk it out, and we feel like this is so weighty. But here's, here's the reality for us. When we come under the authority of the king, he says, hey, come to me if you are weary. Come to me if you are burdened. It's not that those, that weariness and the, those burdens are going to go away. It just means he's saying, when you are weary, when you are burdened, come to me because there you will find rest for your souls. I, I don't know about you, but have you, ever, have you ever had the thought when someone's going through something really difficult, have you ever had the thought, I don't know how I would get through something like that without Jesus? Because I have. I've thought that with others. I've thought that with me. How do you walk through life and its difficulties without knowing there is a king who comes alongside us and says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and it's wonderful in our eyes. Let me just make one more connection in case you're missing it. The reality of his cornerstone-ness, it, it, it falls and it actually finds a pinnacle when just in a couple days from here, he will hang on the cross for you. This is... This is the pinnacle of his cornerstoneness, of his bearing the weight of hardship and sin and struggle. This is what it means to come under his authority. It's not weighty. It's coming under the authority of the Savior of the world. It's coming under the authority of the one who took your sins and nailed it to the cross that you would bear it no more. This is the reality of what it means to surrender to his authority. It's not a weightiness. It's saying, I can't do it, Lord. Would you do it for me? And he says, absolutely. Give me all of your struggles. Give me all of your shame. Give me all of your guilt. Give me everything that you're struggling with. Let me put it upon my shoulders as I go to the cross. It is wonderful in our eyes. And it's for this reason uh, that these Chief priests and the scribes and the elders looked and said, I think he's talking about us. We should try and arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the crowd wasn't ready to arrest him yet. They would be. 
They're going to get there. But they're not there yet. They, they didn't like it. Do you know why? Let me just, let me just uh, say it in a sentence. This is why they wanted to arrest him. They didn't like his authority. And for us as Christians, part of growing as a Christian is to going from not liking his authority, I think as we kind of progress to trying to figure out what it means to live under his authority, to as we get, become grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith, we start to say things like, I love his authority. I love his authority. Because it's in his authority that I find true freedom and true joy. May it, may it be for us that we find this out. Listen, following Jesus as a disciple means surrendering your authority to the Savior King. The cornerstone. I'm going to make sure we do that. I have one live it out point for you. And here's what it is. Ask this question. Is his authority wonderful in your eyes? Is his authority wonderful in your eyes? And that can be a yes or no question. Let me add a second one to it. Um, why or why not? And I, I wanna, just want to implore you maybe this week to, to take some time to think through that question. I, I want to ask you, if you have questions even about that, send it into the podcast. The number's up there. Love to talk about it with you. Is his authority wonderful in your eyes? Why or why not? What is it about his authority that you're afraid of? What is it about his authority you don't want to come under? What is it about his authority that makes you recoil at him? Or what is it about his authority that makes you lean into him? What is it about him being the one that's in charge of your life that you think, I, I, can't, I can't wait to worship him? What is it about those things? Because if we're going to be purposely biblical, which is one of our values, if that's going to be something that we are, then we can't just stop at just saying, no, I, I think his authority is good. That's biblical. But what does it mean to be purposely biblical? It means to take that reality. Okay, yeah, I trust his authority. Now what? What do I do with that? How do I live this out? How do I think about this? Because he is, after all, the king. Listen, we, we are at the spot now. If you were to read ahead a little bit, where there's going to be some more teaching. We're in, the, we're in this week. Essentially, we're, we're in this week uh, leading up to Good Friday at this point, if we're in the Easter season. We're, we're getting there. We're, we're almost there, and Jesus is going to be constantly poking the bear. Like, the scribes are mad now. Well, just wait, all right? Because he's about to get, he's about to get him more. He's going to start teaching about him, and, and they're going to realize more and more, if we don't take care of him, we're in trouble. Like, we're going to go down. It's in the death of Jesus, though, that they really find their downfall. I mean, it's an upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of God's upside-down. We, we go like, hey, if they just let him live, they're going down. No, it's in his killing that they find their true downfall. And, church, it's in his killing that we find true life. Julie, I'm going to have you come on up. The reality of this whole gospel of Mark and the reality of this uh, really is... We have one king who has authority over all of us. His name is Jesus. And he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. He is good. He is patient. He is kind. He is not without justice or judgment. And that day is coming. But listen, let me say it again. That day is not now. There is time. If you are wondering, 
uh, am, I, am I a follower of Jesus or not? My question is, well, have you, have you come under his authority and recognized and trusted him for your life? If, if you have, then I'd say, yeah, you, you are in that place. If not, then you're not quite there yet. As we sing this song, we're going to have to stand in a moment. Uh, if you're a Christian, there's communion in the back. It's a little cup. You're welcome to go get it. If you're not a Christian, and maybe even you're asking this question now, am I don't know, have I come under the authority of Jesus? Let me ask you just to refrain from taking communion today. It's not to judge you. It's just because this is a meal that we take as Christians to remember his death and resurrection, which has been effective for us. And so we take it in remembrance of him. This is why Christians take this. So if you haven't yet gotten that, um, if you, well, during the song, you're welcome to go back and grab that. And then Chris is going to come on up and, and help us um, take communion. And then we're going to sing some more. So let's stand together as we respond to this song. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.